Welcome to a Longer Table podcast, a space for real and sometimes hard conversations that will often challenge your perspective and always empower you to pull up more seats around your own table. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter. Let's dive in. I have been so excited for this conversation. I have Felicia at the table today. She teaches Christian women how to apply faith to the realities of life. That's one way of putting it. She's a blogger, a podcast host, a speaker. She's written about overcoming sin, um, and so much more. Everything she does really comes back to knowing what you believe um, and figuring that out for yourself. And so I was really excited to have you at the table with us. Thanks for being here, Felicia. Thanks for having me, Amanda. Um, I told my husband when I was telling him who I was going to chat with today, that you were someone that when I think of getting rid of a feel-good faith or a lukewarm faith, um, ditching legalism and shallow theology and how to discern what's false teaching versus, you know, real truths of the Bible and how do we live with Jesus? Um, that's, that's what all came up for me. So I just can't wait for people to get to know you, but I feel really nervous when people ask me what I do. Cause I'm like, uh, I write, I blog, I speak, I get really awkward. What do you tell people you do for a living when they ask, like, how do you define your career? Oh man, I, I do feel the same way. I, I, it's hard to pick when you do multiple things, like which part do I focus on and how do I say this without being confusing? But what I typically land on is I'm an author and I'm a Bible teacher and I help women know and men know what they believe and why they believe it and how to communicate it graciously. Because I think you can know what and why you believe, but if you don't have that final piece of genuine communication skills with people in today's culture, it it actually isn't worth a whole lot beyond your personal life. And we know that, and you know, and you talk about this, this is a communal faith. So we need to be able to communicate to other people in a gracious way. So that's the most succinct way I think I can say it. Yeah. I love it. I'm sure you get a lot of great responses to that, but then people who have a million follow-up questions or people who just run in the other direction, um, I'm sure you get a wide variety. So one thing I guess I'm curious about is how you got into doing this. Did you set out to start Every Woman a Theologian or kind of what's been the journey to getting here? That's a great question. I actually have been blogging since I was 16 years old. So that is a long time. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. Um, Right at the height of blogging for teenagers Um, the revolution, I think was a really big deal back in those days. And so a lot of teenage bloggers were writing their perspectives on faith and life. And so I started doing it too. But then in my twenties, my blog kind of began to take off because I was sharing my own journey through a pornography addiction or an erotica addiction. So like books that contain pornography and how the Lord had helped me overcome that and find freedom from that addiction. And as I was writing about that and and finding there were so many women who were resonating with it, because at that point, we really treated pornography like a male problem. Um, I began to then ask the question, well, okay, obviously this is very helpful to these women, but why does the Bible get to have anything to say to me about my sexuality in general? And it began this kind of like domino effect, like a backwards domino effect, which in today's world, we'd probably call a deconstruction Mm -hmm. where I was breaking down 
where did the Bible come from? Why does it have authority to tell me this? How can I trust God and breaking that down on my blog? And as I began to do that, I realized I have a religion degree. So I realized this theology that I am trained in is something that every Christian needs. And that in order to even understand how to overcome something like pornography, I have to know the theology behind repentance and sin and God's love. And so that began to expand into material on those subjects. How do we trust God? Where did the Bible come from? And so now I would say six to 10 years after that whole process, we are where we are today with an international ministry called Every Woman a Theologian. So it's been a huge, long journey, but also really exciting. Yes. No, it sounds like it. Did you grow up in a Christian home? I did. I did have really great parents who discipled me really well. And I think, you know, that actually made it a little bit difficult struggling with something like pornography in a Christian home, because I did feel a lot of shame and didn't know where to go with it. I was in purity culture, but at the same time, my parents gave me a foundation of faith. That was what I turned to in the middle of that struggle. Mm -hmm. And I had something to go to as I was coming out of it. And so, um, you know, I think that's a a strange tension from my childhood that I struggled, but then also I had fantastic parents and, and the foundation they gave me actually helped me get free. Yeah. That's, that's really amazing. Um, being that you've written publicly for so long, I'm sure there's some things that you've put in writing that you look back on and you're like, Ooh, maybe cringeworthy or, or, or maybe you take the approach of, I've tried to take this approach more often for myself, which is, well, that's what I believed at that time. And it's really beautiful that I've evolved and grown. Is there an example of something that comes to mind that you were either known for, or that you maybe gained a lot of readers when you first shared about a particular thing and now you no longer believe that way or wouldn't have said it the way that you said it. Yes. So I had a talent for writing blog posts that went viral. It happened multiple times. And I think part of it was I would see an issue and I would write a response post or I would, you know, write on a really hot topic issue. I really wasn't afraid to do that. And so that's actually how I kind of built a following at first And one of the topics I wrote about, this is way back in probably 2013 or 14, was modesty, specifically yoga pants, which I wore and I never stopped wearing. There's like this misnomer that Felicia stopped wearing yoga pants or something Mm. from this post. But I wrote about why why I believed that there was like an appropriate setting for wearing yoga pants. And I just perpetuated a modesty narrative that was the typical narrative that we saw in purity culture. And I have since changed my mind on that. And that post is no longer on the website, (laughs) but I also think I meet people all the time who are in my community who say, I found you through that post and I'm still here and I still follow your work and I followed like your growth and I've grown also. So it's really cool to see like people who are also growing and developing in their faith and, and, you know, adjusting their views to the spirit of the Lord and and to the word just as I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And it, it brings like a humility to all of this. Like, I think people could look at you, someone who has a lot of followers, you've been traditionally published, you have a degree in religion and think, well, she, she has it all figured out. But I, I really believe, I, I don't really trust people that 
portray themselves that way or, or that never change their mind on anything. Not that we should be wishy-washy and like changing our mind all the time and letting like culture or whoever sway us in different ways, but but that we should be evolving and that it's okay to say like, I oh, maybe it would do this differently or believe a little bit differently about this. So that's, I think that's really beautiful. Speaking of beautiful, let's talk about, um, I think it was your most recent book that's called Stop Calling Me Beautiful. And it's really about how women need Jesus more than compliments. Where did that come from? I mean, I love it, but where did that come from? Where It's got to have a personal story or personal connection. Well, what's funny is to speak of those like viral posts, that book was written off of one of those that I did not expect to do so well. I wrote a very short blog post. I think it was no more than 800 or 900 words. And all it said was, look, women's ministry leaders, the women in your church are done making cupcakes and they're done with more messages about how they're a daughter of the king without any practical application or anything to do with that at home. Like how do how does your women's ministry equip these women to go home and deal with their struggling marriages with their children with you know the racism they're experiencing in the world with whatever it is their pornography addictions is your women's ministry equipping them to deal with that because if it is not you're basically shortchanging them of what the gospel actually does. And women, women don't want to be called just beautiful anymore. They want to know the true gospel. And so the, the the title of the blog post was dear women's ministry, stop telling me I'm beautiful. That Mm. post went nuts. And eventually um, the book is what came out of that post. And it just breaks down like the power of the gospel for all these different areas of our life from sexual sin to anxiety, to grief, all of that, the gospel addresses. Um, but if we don't teach people that it just feels like, Oh, over here is my grief and over here is Jesus. And there's no inter- intersection between those two. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that because it also just feels like almost like lip service to hear, like you're a child of the king or you're and 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 that that's sometimes really um great to hear especially i know as a kid i think it was probably really good for my self esteem to like hear i don't know maybe um it's just a theory but it's it has to go beyond that at some point when like life is really happening and we're dealing with like real issues um so i love that and it it feels like you've kind of devoted a lot of your life a large part of your life outside of your other roles like wife and mother and friend and daughter and all of the things to teaching women how to study scripture think for themselves instead of you know most people are being spoon-fed tr- um the the truth that they end up believing or they're forced to believe forcing beliefs onto other people. Um, I love that you teach people how to study scripture and think for themselves. Do you ever have someone who kind of comes out of that journey with a very different view on something than you? I think so. You know, I think so. It's very interesting because I have a very diverse denominational following Mm -hmm. and That means that I've had people who follow me and they're like, I was so inspired by you. I became Catholic. And I'm like, I'm not Catholic, (laughs) you know? And so, yeah, things like that will happen when I've spoken on women in ministry, they study it and they become more extreme to complementarian or egalitarian than I am, you know, that happens all the time, but you know, 
I told them to go do their research and to find their position. And as long as those core doctrines of the faith are in place and you are, as G.K. Chesterton said, you're adhering to the creeds and the historic conduct of those who held to the creeds, you know what? If you believe in infant baptism and I don't, more power to you. I'll see you on the other side. You know, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's a family. And, and if they're using their minds and developing a reasoned faith, then they've done what I hope they would do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And it, and I've wondered, I said this to you right before we started recording, like something I'm drawn to about you or I'm attracted to in following you is that you're not super divisive. It's not that you're um, like sheepish around like controversial conversations or anything, uh, but you're not divisive. And so it's sometimes even hard to peg you. It's like, well, what what would she think about this? You know, and people do people, people wonder that I'm sure you already know this, but I, I do it. I'm sure you do it. Everyone at some point has done this where you look to someone that you've loved and admired admired and tend to align on a lot of things with to say, how are they going to respond to what just happened at the Grammys? Right? Like, how do you, I, I am curious about this for myself. How do you discern what you're going to share about versus withhold, especially when it comes to kind of those controversial or hot button uh, moments that a lot of people in your position want to capitalize and be the first to say something or to say something that's going to resonate with the largest group of people. How do you discern that? Well, I think the biggest thing I had to reckon with is what has God called me to do? Who has he called me to be? What is my job here? I am not a journalist. I'm not a reporter. You know, I, I, was a journalism major and I became a religion major. So God changed that path and I better be aware of that, you know? (laughs) So it's tempting to speak to it because it does, it will put you um, at the forefront of cultural commentary. People will come to you like you are a reporter. And, but if you do that, if you chase the, you know, cultural, cultural zeitgeist, if you will, what can happen is you actually stop listening to the Holy Spirit. And instead you simply follow the next hot topic. And so what I had to reckon with was I had people demanding that I speak to every single issue. And I finally had to ask myself, who, who are you working for? Are you working for this audience that God has so graciously given you, or are you working for the Lord. And what does the Lord want you to speak to? It's really quite that simple. And I do think there are some people who maybe are called to be in political spheres and that's what God has them doing. But if my job is to disciple people in the gospel and disciple them in critical thinking, I cannot be their lens through which they see every single cultural issue. Then I'm literally defeating my own purpose. So Instead of teaching them what to think, my job is to teach them how to think. And so, so sometimes I will address an issue, you know, um, Ravi Zacharias, that issue. I addressed that issue. Um, George Floyd's murder addressed that issue. But there's a lot of stuff that's happened in between there that I can't do. I also have to consider my family. Can I show up well for my family if I'm, you know, reporting on all these things? Yeah. No, I I feel you in that. One way that I think you probably show up really well for your family is that you don't do DMs, really. Um, I know it at least says that in your bio, and it sounds like you try not to check those. 
how do you navigate what you're going to respond to? And do, do you actually look at them or do you just have like thousands of unread? I do look at them. I have an assistant who helps me clear them out. Practically, I think um, for social media, people who are working on social media, I think that's a really wise barrier. One thing that helped me to do that was my sister pointed out. She said, if you are answering all these DMs personally, first of all, it's impossible. Secondly, it's really difficult emotionally. I'm sure you understand this, Amanda, but (laughs) when you're opening these messages, it's an emotional whiplash because one could be very angry and the next one could be very kind and you don't know what you're getting until you open it. So if you're sitting there doing them all at once, you're getting an emotional whiplash, which then carries over to how I am at home in my marriage and with my kids. And so that's just really unhealthy. But what my sister said was it's if you are directly connected to all of these strangers via this app, actually answering all their DMS, it's no different than if they had your phone number, are you going to set a boundary or not? And I was like, oh my goodness, that is so true. I would never hand out my personal phone number to a hundred thousand people, but that's exactly what's happening when I don't set a boundary here. So our team goes through and does answer those. I go through and read through them. And sometimes I answer them, um, to help clear out the inbox, but we do our best, you know, (laughs) I, I admire that. I admire that so much. I hadn't thought of it the, the, the phone number analogy there is, is really, uh, kind of hitting me hard here. Like, I'm like, oh man, I think I've given 25,000 people my phone number, right? That's a great way to look at it. Another way to look at it is just like the amount of time spent answering questions when that's unpaid work essentially. Um, but I really resonate when you said how it impacts your family. Like if you're dealing with this emotional whiplash and then you go to be with your family or you are in the same room as them, I, there was a time where I kind of bit Eric's head off and I don't remember what he said or asked me, but I was just in a really bad mood because I'd gotten a really snarky, horrible DM and it's like, yeah, I don't need that. So I'm going to have to implement some more of your boundaries uh, with the DM specifically. Uh, Back to the conversation though about every woman, a theologian and what you do. A real practical question, because I know people listening, some are like devout Christians have been Christians their whole life. Some are atheists. Some are, I don't really know what I believe. I just like to follow Amanda. Cool. Thanks for being here. Um, Everyone, there's a wide variety. I get a lot of really cool emails from people who listen to this podcast and we talk about all sorts of different things. That's why it's called a longer table. We're just building a long table here. What's your recommendation for someone listening who's either overwhelmed learning about Jesus and reading the Bible for the first time, or they've been like a Christian or like in the Christian space their whole life and they're like, Oh shoot. I don't, I I think what she's describing is me. Like, I don't, I know what I believe, but I don't know why, or I don't even know what I believe. So I, I can't really feel bold about it. Where do, where, what do you recommend? Where do they start? Man. Well, we're working on some resources for this purpose, just as like a, we can direct them directly there to have like stepping stones, but my social media is one place because we do, I do a lot of teaching just in my reels, just in my Instagram captions that are very accessible in my stories, questions and answers on Mondays to help people just get a little taste of it. And then I have a podcast that also walks through different questions, but I would say, you know, if you're starting again in the Bible or starting for the first time, just reading through the gospels is just, it's so simple. It's so straightforward. It introduces you to Jesus 
And if, especially if you have a study Bible, you can read the historical commentary to understand what was the context of what Jesus was doing. This is something I think we miss because we're just so used to Western culture. We don't understand like what exactly was Jesus saying when he used this reference or what's the significance of, you know, him being from Galilee and going down to Jerusalem. All of that a study Bible can be very, very helpful with, especially one that's designed to give you um, historical context, which is my favorite thing. I love, I love the history of the Bible. And then another thing I recommend is like a classic, um, Christian devotional style book, like CS Lewis's mere Christianity in that book, he breaks down very simply things like the problem of evil. Why is there evil in the world? Mm. Why do we even bother following Jesus? Was Jesus who he said he was? Lewis was an atheist who became a Christian. He was a hardcore atheist. And because of that, he deals in a lot of really honest questions that we're still asking today. And so I usually say, read the gospels and read mere Christianity, and then let's go from there and see what questions you have. I love it. That's really helpful. And I'll be sure to link everything like your social media and your podcast. And so as those new resources come out, hopefully people can check those out. I can't wait to check those out. And you're right. I've loved learning. Like you said, it's it's free content when you post on social media. The other day you did one about different translations of the Bible. And it was fascinating to me because I have multiple translations and I tend to look at different translations. But one time I got a really nasty review on Amazon for my devotional because one of my scriptures is the message version. And they were like, she used the message version. And I didn't really understand why that was a problem. And I still don't think it's a problem, but it was helpful to think to myself after seeing your post about the different translations oh, this person probably left that review because they probably thought that that's the only translation I've ever read and that I was maybe like taking it out of context or or maybe they were just raised to believe that that translation is not okay because it is different than uh, KJV or whatever. So love, love the free content in that way. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's really fun when I stumble upon it. It's really engaging. Love the. T- I thought maybe you were a teacher in a past life because you got the whiteboard going on. I was like, maybe she was a teacher like me. I did teach actually as a college um, admissions advisor. So I I traveled and spoke at conventions on how to get your children into college. So kind of yeah. Takes. I'm sure your work today, like mine, includes so many skills that that were formed along the way through other ventures. I'm sure you get you feel that way too. Like it, the skill set carries over. Yes, totally. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned Western culture in the church just a moment ago. What are your thoughts on the church as an organization in our Western culture today? Like, what, do you attend a church, and what are your thoughts about the church right now? Yes, I. Now, I believe very strongly that the local church, the body of Christians gathering together for, as Acts, the book of Acts says, um, the apostles teaching, which is basically the Bible, um, the breaking of bread or communion and prayer. These are the three things they were gathering to do. And I believe that is very, very important, whether that's a home church or whether that's a church in a building, um, especially for someone in my position, who's a Bible teacher, that's my accountability. Those are the people who are holding what I teach accountable and who know me in real life. I think it's very dangerous for someone like me to be freewheeling on the internet with no um, accountability. At the same time, I've been in almost a dozen denominations in the course of my life from home church to charismatic, to Methodist, to Southern Baptist. 
And having spent time in so many different denominations and having been through a church split as a child, I know both the pain that Christians can cause, and I know the hope that the church can do good work. And so I passionately work for the unity of the church across denominations. I acknowledge that Christians do some really terrible stuff. And American church is privileged church. And a lot of times we don't recognize that. And we don't recognize that the things that we're teaching um, wouldn't apply in Korea or in Africa, you know, and we have to be willing to acknowledge, like, is the gospel we're preaching something that would be just as applicable in these other locations around the world? Or is this just an American perspective? Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, there's issues in the church for sure, especially in America, but the, the opportunity we have as Christians is to be the change in these church buildings and to be the people who, who make a difference yeah. and make the American church something better than it is. Yes. 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 I was going to just straight up say, do you believe in mega churches? Um, but then I thought I would like frame it a little differently. I was just listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, the, the podcast and just, I thought that podcast, one thing I'll say is I thought they did a really great job talking about, uh, well, telling the story. It's, I think it's pretty well done. But furthermore, I mean, it's really engaging. That's for sure. I thought it was really cool that it wasn't just pointing the finger at a pastor or an organization and the things that they've done wrong, but rather saying to all of us, like, we've all played a part in this. And and maybe I'm maybe this is a stretch here, but what I'll say is, I feel more strongly than ever after listening to that podcast that I am like against celebrity Christian culture, air quotes. So even as someone in your position or in my position who does do things publicly and I've met someone and they've said, oh, I'm fangirling right now. It just makes me so uncomfortable because I'm like, no, 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 please don't put me on a pedestal. <laughs> I'm so, I don't belong there. Um, I just think it's so important. And like you said, belonging to a local church where you have accountability is so huge. I was so excited because Eric and I found a local church in LA and we're plugged in. And then yesterday I met with a woman who's on staff there as one of the pastors and she's actually a spiritual director and a, she's also a therapist. But I was like, hey, I got a therapist. Can you be my spiritual director? <laughs> so um, it's just so important and it's, it's so needed. And I love that you said just as much as Christians can cause pain and hurt, that the church, the collective group of us that um, are part of this church can bring so much hope to the world. Um, yeah, that's so important. And we can learn when we have bad experiences. I think we have a choice. And this is just, this is scripture. And and it can be backed up scientifically too, that you know what we're dwelling on mentally, if we have to process through the negative experiences of the past, we have to deal with them. We have to process them. But if we only remain in those negative experiences and we rehearse them to ourselves over and over and over again, we're never finding freedom from that. And the Bible would say, you know, we, God's intent is for us to be free from bitterness, free from quarreling, free from dissension and to unite with the church, with our fellow believers who we are going to be with for eternity to change the world together, at least our corner of it. And so we can learn from those negative experiences and say, what can I do to be different? When I was in high school, I was left out a lot. I was not the cool kid. I constantly felt like 
Nobody wanted me from boys to girls. Like nobody wanted to be my friend. Nobody liked me back. You know, it just is a really hard time for me. And I think my parents are one thing is that they said, this can either control you and make you bitter, or it can, you know, mobilize you to be different. And I long for people to feel welcomed and like they belong because I didn't belong and I was not welcomed. And so I think when we're hurt by the church, we have to acknowledge that and process it and heal and get a therapist, you know, go through that process, but then be the difference in the church, be the change in the church because Jesus died for the church. That's the reality. We're recording this right at Easter. He loves the church. Um, and we can't escape that fact. So we get to be a part of his redemption, a part of his change. And I think that's a really cool mission. I think you're doing that mission, Amanda, with yeah. the table. Trying. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, I agree. I I agree. Um, yeah, I was gonna share a story, but it's not my story, not my story to share. Um, one question I have, speaking of Easter, are you guys doing anything fun for Easter? Are you going to church? Do you have any traditions with your kids? Yeah. So we love to do a big Easter egg hunt on the day. Fun history fact, Easter eggs are not pagan. They're actually a representation of the resurrection and they became a part of Easter because of Lent. You're abstaining from eggs and then you get eggs back on Easter. So that's kind of how they became associated with Easter. And we do big egg hunt and baskets. And this particular Easter, we're inviting a bunch of people to join me and my family. Um, So we might have 20 people packed into our house. And that just makes me, we're literally making a longer table. I was just talking to my mom today that we have to go get an extra table and set it up on top of our long farmhouse tables for everyone to fit. So makes me so excited. (laughs) I love that. There's like nothing better. Truly, I can only think of maybe a couple things, but there's like nothing better than sitting at a table and sharing a meal with people, whether it's family, friends or strangers. Um, So I love that you're doing that. And I forget you have three kids now, right? I have three. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Because I remember when you had I think it was one and you're pregnant with a second, maybe when I found you. I don't know. But then I'm like, wait, it's been a while. She now has three. I want to know how motherhood has impacted your relationship with God or just your faith practices, um, and maybe what encouragement you have for moms of littles who are listening. Because I know even for me in this first year of having with Shia, never being an infant mom, always having big kids through fostering, my like quiet time or my rituals that I do to like live out my faith never was really thrown off a lot because they went to school and stuff like that. And then I suddenly had a baby who was nursing and never left me and didn't sleep. And then I didn't sleep. And I I definitely went through my longest stretches of not opening my Bible, not opening my prayer journal, not just sitting in silence, not praying with any real intention. Um, And I don't feel any shame about that. It's just the reality. So I want to hear about your relationship between motherhood and faith, and then any like practical, tangible encouragement for moms in hard seasons. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, I won't go over the whole story, but I've had pretty um, difficult pregnancies in terms of life altering things that have happened each pregnancy, something very significant has happened with my husband's job. And so, you know, right at the point when you want stability, we haven't had stability during 
a pregnancy for my last three pregnancies of three. So, you know, that puts you in a position where you're really having to lean on the Lord at the same time while you have little children and you are strapped for time or you're exhausted. And so before I had my kids, you know, I did the standard like coffee and the whole spread with my notebook and my Bible. And then when I had Adeline and my husband was working 60, 70 hour weeks, I never saw him. And I was home with the baby. I quit my job five days before I had her. So I'd worked for 10 years and then job is gone home with a baby. Husband's gone, you know, new state, no friends. It was just a wild time. And that was when I realized like, I have to depend on the Lord and, and the amount of the depth of the walk with that I've had with him so far that doesn't go away. You know, yes, yes. you've had, you've been pouring in all this truth, all this time, the spirit of God is with you. That doesn't go away just because you can't open your Bible. It's there. And you can pray to him as you're changing diapers. You can do these one line heart cry prayers. I almost call them as you're going through your day. And then as I settled into a routine, I remember sitting at that table, holding her and nursing her with one arm and writing in my Bible with the other at the dining room table. Um, because that's what worked, you know, Mm -hmm. or listening on audio while I sat in the middle of the night getting creative with that kind of thing in order to continue to take in that truth and pray that truth back to the Lord without it having to look a certain way. And this goes back to our Western culture ideas of what faith is. Did the apostle Paul have an armchair and a coffee and a commentary when he got to, you know, he didn't, he probably didn't even have the scroll to study the word of God when he's in prison. He's going off of the truth that's inside him. And he's praying that and singing that back to the Lord. And I think that is what we rely on in those really hard seasons. We have a whole legacy of faith in the people who came before us who didn't have the privilege of highlighters and uh, little pretty journals, which I use, but you know, (laughs) I just think we have to let that go, Yes, you know, and not put say, oh, if I can't have all that, it's not worth coming. Your faith forefathers and foremothers didn't have all that. And they kept coming to the Lord. And that means you can too. That's really encouraging. That's good. That's really good. Okay. Couple more like rapid fire questions as we wrap up here. So, and this one, people tend to go deep, take it wherever you want. How would your life be different if you were not a believer, if you were not in a relationship with God today? How might your life be different? How, or another way to rephrase the question is, how does your relationship with God actually change you? Because um, a little context behind this question is I just meet so many people who they're like, I'm, I'm just going to be a good person. Um, or that doesn't work for me, you know, whatever. And that's fine. Uh, it's I haven't made it my personal mission to like convert everyone to believe what I believe or anything like that. But I never really know what to say when they say I'm just going to be a good person. Because for me, if I'm really honest, I I wasn't a great person. My relationship with God hasn't made me a quote good person, but it certainly helped me overcome a lot of sin in my life and continues to. And I know some of those words might sound funny to people depending on where they're at in their journey. But that's just the truth for me. Um, My relationship with God genuinely helps me experience more joy. It helps me be more faithful. 
It helps, um, it helps me overcome a lot of things. And, and also I I've experienced life without it. And it, that was not, that was brutal for me in a lot of ways. And I really didn't want to live anymore. Um, and I wrote about that in my book and, and suicidal ideation and all of that and stuff. So that's my truth. But it's it's just sometimes faith is a really hard thing. It's certainly not always Instagrammable or a short answer. But I'm curious, like, how would your life be different if it weren't for your relationship with God? And how's it actually like tangibly making a difference in your day to day? That's a very powerful question. I think I think it's wise to ask that question. I think a lot of Christians should have to consider that actually. Um I would say without Christ I would feel a very heavy burden to perform and prove myself to the world. Mm. I would also be a very angry person. Anger is one of my weaknesses. Um, and I, I often joke with my husband that God put me in a position that I'm the last person who, who should be in it. Let's put it that way, because I desperately want justice. I want what's right. And I get very angry when it's not. And that anger is so easily drives me in every, could drive me in every decision in, in what I say online and how I present information, um, proving people wrong or proving that I'm right, you know? And I, I considered before the Lord led me to what I do today, I, I was considering becoming a lawyer. I was considering becoming an education lawyer. I wanted to argue and use my rage <laughs> to accomplish what I considered a good purpose. And it's because of experiencing Christ that I've realized that restraint and grace are the best vehicles to accomplish justice and the best vehicles to unite people and mobilize them to make a difference in the world. And so without Christ, I think I actually would not have accomplished as much as I've set out to accomplish because my own ego would have been too much in the way. And I would be striving under the heavy weight of trying to make a difference all on my own power mm. and wisdom. And now I have access to all of his strength and all of his direction to do what he's asked me to do. And so it's still a struggle every day, you know, for me to get online and to not be angry, hmm. <laughs> but he helps us, you know, he helps yeah. us to do what he's asked us to do. That's really wise and beautiful and mature um, and a lot to consider in that answer. My last question is, who are you learning from on a daily basis? Who are you learning from? Is it and what in what medium? Mm. So I'm a reader. So books are my fave. And right now, I love reading vintage uh, Christian theology books. I know that makes me sound like a total nerd. It is on brand and all that. <laughs> Um, it's interesting because when you read from a different time period, you get a perspective on your own time period. It actually like 
shows you the timelessness of the truth they're teaching and how they applied it to what was going on in their world. And then you look, oh, wow, if that applied during the Cold War or if that applied at the turn of the century during the Spanish flu epidemic, you know, how does that apply to me today? You know, so I'm learning from a lot of these older pastors and scholars and what they thought in their time frame, And that's really helping me translate that to today. So good. Yeah. I love reading, but I don't know if I could do the Christian theology vintage books. <laughs> Ooh, I that's yeah, that might be a little over my head. Um, but I love it. I love that. That's uh, what you're where you're learning right now. One of probably many places and people that you're learning from. Yeah. Thanks so much for the work you're doing. I admire it so much. Like I said, the fact that you do what you do, um, without trying to impose your beliefs on others and without creating more division. Um, it's really great. I think it, that alone reveals so much about you. Um, so in addition to just loving what you're doing and who you are from what I can see from across the country, I genuinely admire that so much and appreciate the way that you're building a longer table. Your work is truly building longer tables. Um, so thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Manda. This was such a fun conversation.